Hello and welcome to the Total Mental Performance Podcast, the one and only mindset podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs and coaches master their mindset, giving you insider access to industry leaders around their psychology, their campfire stories, and the mindset required to be successful in this business. I'm your host, Kieran O'Neill, mental performance coach and founder of Total Mental Performance, the world's fastest growing specialist mindset service dedicated to the fitness industry. So without further ado, let's lean in and listen. Yes, yes, team. Welcome to another episode of the Total Mental Performance Podcast. Today's guest we have is Mark Coles. I asked him, how should I introduce you? And he said, I am a coach through and through. I care about the individual impacting lives. And uh, we have a few shared clients. And um, one thing I really respect about Mark is his values-led approach. Uh, I saw I first met Mark at Kirk Miller's event, uh, speaking about values. Uh, I then went to his event here in Dubai. And some of the feedback I've had from our clients is that he leads with a, a values-led approach, which is very rare, particularly in the mentorship space. And I think a lot of coaches aren't building their businesses on what's important to them. I think a lot of coaches aren't building their businesses on, on values. So I invited Mark onto the, to the pod, jumped on, and here we are. Mark, welcome to the Total Mental Thank Performance you. Podcast. Very uh, grateful that you've invited me here today. So tell our audience a little bit about you. 24 years this year, I believe, in the fitness industry, has inspired more today than I was when I started. Started as a personal trainer, tried to start my way into the property industry to follow my father, seen what he'd done, seen he played rugby, saw he was a property man. And if all honest, in all honesty, I think that that was an easy route for me because I didn't particularly do well at school and I was unhappy and unfulfilled. And that's when I began to challenge myself, what makes me happy, which we'll get into today. And so I became a personal trainer for no other reason than that was what made me happy. And being happy led me to building a pretty strong reputation nationally and also worldwide for the results that I achieved with people. Became pretty obsessed with um, physique development, body transformations and bodybuilding. Had my work published worldwide, fitness magazines, Muscle and Fitness, Men's Health, GQ, and started to get a bit of recognition to a lot of coaches. And they reached out to me ultimately about, 15 years ago and said, individual coaches said, could you help me? I'm trying to build my business and help more clients. And uh, in fact, they just said, can you help me get better results for my clients? I said, well, of course. So I started charging people like one-off mentoring. And then someone said to me one day, why don't you teach? And I was like, I've never done it before. So as I've always done, feet first, 90 people at my first seminar. And as that's progressed, I have been approached by many coaches over the last 15 years to help them with business. The mindset of business, the entrepreneurship of business, becoming more of a business professional. And about seven, eight years ago, seven years ago, I decided to start up a business mastermind to just take a collective of 20, 15 trainers in through a journey of six months, to which has now scaled incredibly to helping hundreds of coaches inside our business coaching program every single month and an incredible team. I think we sit around about 23 people at the minute collectively. So it's not just me. I'm the owner and founder of a gym in Nottingham called M10, which is also an education program teaching the science and theory of coaching. But we also have a, a big business, which is called Coaching Concierge. And that helps coaches build their business foundations to five to seven K months. And then we take coaches who are ready to scale beyond 10 K months and essentially help people with the entrepreneurship of scaling and the systems and the implementation and structure of the team. So now I am essentially scaling the influence I've been able to build over the last 20 odd years and helping a lot of people just take their passion and purpose and turn it into a successful business at whatever level you're at. And what is the context that 
audience need to know about your childhood that leads into what drives you today? Lost. Identity. Lack of. Significance. Lack of. I care immensely about my reputation because I don't have one. I don't, people might think reputation is to do with how many people know you. To me, it was about being in a collective group of friends and being noticed. I was very small when I was younger, bullied pretty much through school. Uh, I was at private school, so my dad always told me that it's always been around. It'll always get pushed around. But, you know, being tied up in a duvet, dragged down the corridor, being thrown in a bath, had your head pushed underwater, having probably one of the most emotional moments of my life was as a child actually was being at boarding school and uh, we had a tuck box those who are watching this or listening to this will know that at private school you have a tuck box and every Sunday night when you come back after being at home with your family your parents fill your tuck box with chocolate bars sweets comfort right stuff from home you've gone in the in the pantry at home you've taken stuff out you come back with this box and there's a lock on it and some of the senior boys would just come in and just smash the lock off and just take all the food. And I remember the emotion of that was, you're not stealing my food, you're stealing my family. Because mm. things that I was given were from my parents. It's not food. It's what my parents would give me. And it made me feel very homesick. And that feeling of being bullied actually makes me care more than you can ever know. You might see this facade, this bodybuilding physique and this hard-nosed guy. I know I've... I can only describe it as a fuck off face. You know, I'm very serious in what I do. In fact, even in here in Dubai, someone said to me in the gym, one of the trainers the other day, why are you always so serious? I was like, I don't owe it to anybody to change how I look particularly, but I'm serious because I'm thinking when I'm walking around, you know, I'm not on show. I'm not on a stage. I'm not speaking to anybody. It's my time. I'll never have anybody tell me that I have to look a particular way, but I'm very intense in my own thoughts because I've got a lot to achieve in my life. And I think that uh, there's a lot of deep thought that goes into how much I care and what I put into the business. And that stems from childhood and, and being pushed around. And then I found the gym. And when I started to get a bit bigger and I started to get confident with how I looked, my sport improved, which was a passion of mine. And I started to realize that people would ask me, oh, how are you doing that? You know, you look good and all that. And I thought, wow, is there something to do with significance where You've got to make a. You've got to be a little bit of impactful. You've got to make a bit of a difference because people notice you. The reason why you're not noticing, you're not bringing anything, bringing anything to the table. And that was you. I was 15, 14 at school, and I just started lifting weights. And I was like, making something of yourself makes you look. Make people notice notice you. And I think to this day, you know how I look, how I present myself, how I speak, what I do on me is a driver. And my body has been the best gift I've ever been given by whatever power you believe in. And I believe the body and the brain is a gift. And we have, I said to somebody the other day, I'm not prepared to die without exploring how fucking awesome I can be. And I'm not anywhere near where I want to be yet, but I just keep exploring every single day the possibility of being on this planet. And I don't think most people in their life ever experience how amazing, you know, how much money we can make, how, how happy we can be, what relationships we can have with people, what businesses we can build, what communities we can build, what level of spirituality and depth you can explore within yourself and what level of happiness and fulfillment is truly there. If you're just prepared to learn and work from the age of 23, 24, I've dedicated myself to the age of 45 now just to learn about me. I freaking love learning about me. And in, in, in turn, it's helped me meet my wife, the love of my life. It's helped us on our journey towards having children. 
And that's all stemmed from that point in my life, really, whereby I felt I wasn't good enough. And I felt that I didn't fit in and I was lost. And uh, it took me a long while to find out no one's going to do it for me. It's a journey of, do you know what? If you're prepared to just work at it, I think you can just be everything that you think is possible. And that's what I'm still trying to do every single day. And that decision to go on that journey, did that happen right away? Because I have a view that children are fed back that they're not enough in various different ways when they're a kid. They get that feedback and then they go, oh, okay, you're right. And they're the underachievers. Mm -hmm. They just accept it. Absolutely. Then you've got the opposite. And these tend to be more the driven, the creatives. These tend to be the entrepreneurs, the coaches that really want to do well. And they say, fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. For me, it was my dad being my football manager. We were bottom of the bottom league and he benched me every day. Every game he benched me. And as an adult, you can laugh and say, Kieran's dog shit at football, lol. But as a kid, that ultimate rejection, because I was always benched before he was the manager as well, was I'm not even enough for my own dad, Mm -hmm. let alone this team. So my way of going to validate myself was, fuck you, I'm going to prove you wrong. And what are the two things or three things that we really measure men on? Their ability to fight their physique, and how much money they make. So for me, I went down the boxing route because that ticked off the six-pack with the physique, being able to beat people up publicly and assert dominance. Uh, And then I went into software sales. So for me, my fuck you, I'm going to prove you wrong, took me, that decision happened when I was 13. Mm -hmm. Did that happen right away for you? Or did it take you a little bit of time for you to decide, I'm going to go that way? I think we meet people in our life for a reason. People are our greatest teachers. We stumble across a book something that is catalyst to change. I truly do believe that um, our initial values are shaped by what our parents tell us is to be true. And I'm determined with my children that they'll learn to value and find out who they are themselves and live according to their own set of values, which to me is very evident for a lot of people. And I don't think that we... We can explore this today, but I just don't think it, um, parents have the skills, in my opinion, to understand kids. And we're bringing them up every single day with no frigging clue, which is why I think that there's a lot of problems with people that they're not being brought up by the right people to have the skills to condition a human brain. And I'm dedicated to conditioning my human brain and my wife and I love learning about the brain and love working alongside people to help, going back to your question, to help make sure that the conditioning and the learning pattern is not scripted to the point where it's a degree, but encouraged. And I think one thing that I didn't do, and I'm not placing any blame on my parents, but, you know, at the age of 15, 16, I was labelled thick by my parents, 100%. I played rugby. That's pretty good. Aggressive little shit. But I would not apply myself to schoolwork. And then I'd apply myself to rugby, but then I remember hitting a guy with my head once playing rugby, and I got the nickname Billy. And that was 15... And uh, ever since then, it was like silly Billy, Billy, silly Bill, brainless Bill. That was labeled hard. And then I had a lot of NLP when I was 23. And the the place where I went to in my mind was sitting on a a stool and uh, at school. And I was 17 and I got told to sit at the back because I was stupid. What underlines my, that's one of the biggest things that drives me is the void of knowledge because everybody told me that I was stupid. Everybody 
to this day, you know, people that knew me at school would probably think that that was the one that wasn't intelligent. That was the one that wasn't concentrating. That was the one that probably, I'm not going to say amount to anything because I've never been said you won't amount to anything, but it was definitely, you're not smart. So that greatest void drives our greatest values, right? And that's where my fuck you came at the age of 23 when I read uh, probably less than that, 21, 22, when I read in Ron Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. And I read it from start to finish. And I could, I almost remembered most of it. And I was like, how? How? I love this. Then I realized that the things that we're inspired by the most is the things that we retain. And the things that we're not inspired by is the things that we do not retain. So I was not member retentive. I was just deficit of what I enjoyed. Then I suddenly started studying stuff I enjoyed, which is why I'm so passionate about helping people understand like, what is it you enjoy? Because that's what you retain. Children can watch a movie and remember it from start to finish, which means they don't have a chemical problem with learning. It's just what they actually are inspired to, to watch. So this whole youthful aspect of you not being clever enough really challenged me for a long time. And I watch friends of mine that are 35 now that are, that are making huge businesses and making huge amounts of money. And there's no resentment to me. I just took a long, I, I, I wasn't happy till I hit 30. And with that, it's taken me, I'm 45 now. I'd say that the true growth entrepreneurially happened to me, proper growth in the last six years. So you could say that I, it's probably taken me probably 38, 37 years to find me. I've done freaking well on the way. Like the last 23 years, I've grown and grown and made a lot of money. But if you ask me honestly, what's been the biggest growth phase where you're a together human being? Probably seven or eight, six, seven, six or seven years. And that stemmed from proving. And all I've done is obsess over learning. Obsess, which has become my greatest power. Obsess of learning. It's a really interesting point in there about learning about the things that you're interested in. So like, like you, I wasn't very air quotes good at school i've been blessed with adhd uh, so that means that uh, i can be very distracted we we're actually talking about on the lift on the way up here about how noises and sounds and things really can can really distract me that's why i love this podcast studio because i'm locked in headphones in nowhere else to be but i also really struggled with school but the subjects i was interested in i couldn't put down boxing i couldn't put down boxing i'd be studying for ages i'd be learning the the history of all the various different fighters and how they fought how they won psychologically how they broke down their opponents no problem concentrating there but put me in something like a a science lesson i didn't really care oh i really struggled with that and i do think something that coaches and individuals need to do a lot more is follow their nose what are the things that you're fascinated by and there's a lot of coaches in the industry because they're here to make a lot of money but not because they're fascinated by coaching. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who is a coaching purist, I do think you need that. You need that fascination point. But how does that work? How does that tick? Because if you can do that, then memory does stick. If your goal is to be a coach, if your goal is to make a lot of money, then the stuff you're going to retain and focus on are KPIs, money, lead generation, sales, how to make more money, how to do things to make more money. And then you'll notice businesses like that the churn rate is ridiculous. The buy-in to the community is very low. And uh, the service is very poor. And that's fine if that's what you're building. I've not got my eyeballs on people like that. You know, I, I don't pay attention to businesses like that because they don't inspire me. There will always be the builder that cuts corners to make money. There'll always be the dentist that does shoddy work, but does lots of it mm. and makes a lot of money. 
There'll always be the dentist that does teeth whitening for 50 grand, you know, 15 grand when it doesn't need to cost that much, right? Or, 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 or Invisalign or whatever it may need to be. They'll, they'll charge them ridiculous money. So I don't look for those. I, my, in my heart, the word integrity is through me. If it challenges my beliefs and my values and my integrity, I won't do it. My wife is the best soundboard for me because she knows me inside out. My team know me inside out. There's things that I could do with what I know in terms of building my business. We talked earlier about scale. I could double revenue, but it would be against my integrity. It wouldn't be an enjoyable journey. My journey about building this business and scaling this business is culture. I'm fascinated by culture, fascinated by it. I've got it wrong. Mm. You can feel that when it's wrong, can't you? I got, and do you know what? I said to somebody the other day, you can make money fast, but you have to build a, business, a brand slow. Don't tell me you're building a business fast and there's, there's, there's culture. Because what you need to do is hire people quickly. You're hiring people that move fast. But much like a relationship, it takes time. I'm quite happy to meet people and allow that relationship to just take a year, two years. Just watch what's going on. I don't want to meet somebody and go for a meal every other second week. Uh, it's too quick for me. You know, let me just see who you are, what your intentions are, what your values are. My, my circle is very tight because I love conversational depth. I don't want to just sit down and talk to millionaires who have no integrity. I've got a lot of money. I, I'm fine. I don't need to sit with somebody else to inspire me to make more money. But what inspires me is deep conversation. Um, somebody that really understands themselves, somebody that loves building culture. And if that comes hand in hand with people that have made a huge amount of money, then that, I love that too. Um, and I'm more inspired by wealth today, you know, a lot more inspired to wealth. But, but if I go back to kind of my, my kind of brand building, I originally started the business, especially when we started to grow and just said, right, you work for me. And basically I, I did a follow me mm. mentality. I'm jacked. I'm serious. I'm educated. I'll pay you. Just keep up. And I hired people for that. And then I realized that, that people don't operate like that. People don't operate in a business for you. You know, the great book Rocket Fuel talks about uh, visionaries and integrators. And an integrator being somebody that loves being a part of a culture but doesn't want their own thing. Mm. But the visionary is inspired by growth and, the, and, and just this expansive ability as an entrepreneur to make something huge and impactful. But not everybody wants that. Not everybody wants that. And I find that a lot of people in uh, the, the coaching space say that they want a eight-figure business, a seven-figure business. And they don't. I they agree. don't. I agree. Uh, yeah. Deep in their much. core. It does happen too much. And um, Do you think that's from what they're being told? Because I think a lot of coaches are told you should push for scale. You should have this. You should have this. And then they get distracted by their peers in the industry. Some of our coaches will be doing maybe five seven k a month they haven't got a team they haven't got a scale yeah but they're happy yeah but i think i see this 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 to me comes down to the word emotional stability because um if you're to me personal development is the state of control to me personal development is the state of control of your emotions and you have a radar or a clock and when you ask yourself a question you're able to objectively reply Following somebody on social media who's worth X, who's made his money or her money in the last five to six years that says you're a loser if you're not investing by the age of 23. Come on, right? You're a loser if you're not investing in crypto and doing this. And I, I have 23, 24-year-olds that, that are making 15, 20K a month in the business. I'm not frightened to slow them down. I'm 45. 
call it a fatherly kind of, mm. hey, dude, by all means, go and work with a seven-figure mentor. Like, we help people make a lot of money in our coaching program. But if you are a sports coach, now, well, I think one of the best, the best things about entrepreneurs is that they're sportsmen, sports people, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, a lot of athletes. And one of the things about sport is a good coach will push you when you're ready and pull you back when you're tired. If you look at Academy, I watched, I don't know whether it was Man City or Man United. They had a series on, on TV in the UK before I moved here. And uh, it was about young children and it was how they're managing them, their instability, their ability to train, their ability to be emotionally affected by losing a game or their emotional stability to lose a game but be objective. And they watch for that because that's the 1%. Mm. that they're looking for that go to the senior team. And what I do is I look for the 1% entrepreneurially. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people leave our scale program. I not say a lot, but people leave our scale program because I spot these things and I go, no, let's build this first and then let's push. I guess they're not patient enough. They're not patient. Yeah. And they go somewhere else and then there's quite a lot that come back and it could be two or three years. Now, I've been doing this long enough to have people come back. Some people in business have not. But it's the same with coaching, where your client goes away and says, oh, I'm just going to try this. And then they come back and they go, but your method worked. Mm. Let me tell you this. I help people build businesses that are here in 10 years' time. Businesses that have got a beating heart. Businesses operate on integrity. Which is why I love working with coaches that care about coaching. So the people that come in that are quite prepared to just put the coaching to one side and just drive revenue. We make people like we're increasing. If I said to somebody, you know, you know, over six months, your business goes up if you're scaling an extra 10 or 15 K a month, right. Or 20 K a month. And, and, and quite often you'll have somebody come in and say 8 K and end up at 25. And then we'll have what I call the 25 K curse, right. Where they stop and they wonder what the hell's wrong with them. I'm like, dude, when a fat person loses 20 kgs, they don't suddenly go down and do a body transformation and appear in men's health. They have a settlement phase where they suddenly learn what it's like to lose a lot of weight and readjust their community, their friends, their social network, the way they eat. And then they turn around and maybe, maybe they're ready to push on. But this goes down to coaches that are earning two or 3K. This goes down to coaches that have learned a load of science theory and practice of coaching. And for a while, they're happy with what they've learned. They've, they've stabilized for a while. So I'm not just talking about people looking to scale. It's, this episode's not about just how to make a lot of money. It's, you know, for me, it's, it's about emotional stability across the board. And that's something I watch in people. And I say, and I call it the coffee cup. And I've explained this a lot. When you wake up in the morning, emotional stability means you've got 100% energy to give to the day emotionally. But when you're emotionally unstable and you've got a lot of dread, doubt, fear, frustration, anxiety, you might have 70% already used up the minute you wake off the, of the cushion, the, the pillow, which means you've got 30% to give to the day, right? I wake up with 100% to the day and I focus a lot of my effort, have a coach that helps me with my personal development, you know, areas that I am working on in myself. But I'm, I'm, I would say at the age of 45, I'm the most emotionally stable I've ever been. I'm controlled, I'm centered, I'm objective. I have awful days. I have amazing days, but I'm very balanced and expect them both. When you have a coffee cup, 
my analogy, my, my thought process to this, and if you can think of a coffee cup, coffee cup, the top of the coffee cup is where the coffee gets to your max. At the point where the coffee starts pouring over over the table, it's full, right? That's where you burn out. That's where you're that's where you are emotionally destabilized. But a lot of coaches, if you've got a hundred percent of that day, I get to nine o'clock on the sofa and it's just about full. I watch some crap on TV, deload my brain, go to bed, sleep well. But I get up at seven, I work all day. How do I do 12 hours, 13 hours and be absolutely okay every single day? My emotional stability at the beginning of the day is on point, it's zero. Whereas a lot of young coaches, coaches, entrepreneurial coaches, whatever you may call them, if they're still dealing with a lot of emotional instability from family and how they feel, all of my dread, anger, resentment, bullying, that created uh, the filling up of the coffee cup, which meant at the end of the day, I hadn't got any emotional mm. energy to give. Some coaches get to two o'clock and go, I just can't do anymore. And I'm like, dude, that's not to do with being busy. That's to do with being an emotionally unstable because we've all got the same hours to work in a day. So what I look at is if I help somebody scale or build their business, have we got 40%, 30% to work with? So I'm just going to tell you to do this one thing. But if you've got a lot more energy, then we can give you four or five or six things to do in a month and you'll fly through them, right? We were talking about one of our you know clients earlier. She can do that right? And then say, what's next? That's emotional stability in my eyes, but that's the 1%. So what we have to give, pay respect to, and this is the work you guys do and you know the, the work of personal development wise is how can we lower the energy in the coffee cup to give you more ability to, not necessarily, it's not entrepreneurial to me, it's about how much you can do in a day, but true fulfillment to me is about emotional stability. And if we can have that emotional stability, I think a lot of people will be blown away how much they can get done in a day. But if you're absolutely getting wiped, um, really early on in the day, I, I wouldn't necessarily look at how many leads are coming in and what that problem is. I'd actually start to address the emotional aspect of you first and then move on from there. I love that. And often there's not many mentors that do that and they look at the individual before they look at the business because it's very easy to look at business right business is numbers it's people it's team it's culture whatever but often people over rotate how many leads are coming in, how much money is coming in but when you're looking at the individual how does that individual tick and operate one of the things you're talking about there is production capacity mm. every every individual has their own production you, capacity. that's what you call it right yeah, yeah production capacity yeah. or other people call it batteries yeah i call it the coffee cup right, right. it's amazing yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's something i created myself and for you to actually say coming from what you guys do that that is a thing yeah. um i mean i just developed it do you know why because i don't and yes i agree that there is burnout it's not what people think. No, I, I, I don't think people are burning out to the level. When they say I'm burnt out, I think they're just fatigued. I think it's tiredness. Yeah. I, think, I think clinical depression is emotional instability. In, sorry, clinical, emotional, chemical. At the, at the psychological level, I truly believe that that's a problem that needs managing quite often with drugs. But when people say they're depressed, I feel that they are low. And tired. And tired yeah. and also unfulfilled because I don't mind saying this on this podcast. I think there's a lot of coaches that start the industry because they like training, but they don't love coaching. Mm. And so yeah. you're actually, yeah, you're like, yeah, but I do enjoy it. I said, dude, do you like mm. going to the mm. gym? You like going to the gym. My DMs are always 
they always have a certain number of coaches in there saying, I'm just not happy doing it. I was like, good, do something else. Mm. There's no point having your life on this planet doing something you don't enjoy because you feel it's the only thing you're good at. Like I absolutely adore coaching. And there are, there are, there are colleagues of mine and friends of mine who, um, who do less coaching now. And it's funny for me, and that's fine. Like, culturally wise within your business. But I'm, I'm, I'm inspired the most when I'm on these on calls with people. Now, naturally I work a lot more one-to-one with our scale clients now, and I have a team that help the rest of our programs. Um, but I love teaching. In fact, I'm fulfilled when I'm teaching because if you take the teaching aspect away from me, it, it, it's that, it's that guy that wasn't very clever at school. I, it's my fuel is teaching. My fuel is talking to people like yourself. Um, that gives me energy. That insp- energizes me. So going back to what we we're saying about kind of production capacity, but also this whole thing of uh, of being absolutely burnt out, it is. It doesn't take long in your life to just start taking control of your mind, what you're thinking, why you're thinking it, comparison, comparing yourself to other people, coming back to center and realizing that you're on planet Earth for you, and you and I aren't going to cover this. I'm not going to cover the solution on this podcast, but there's, I truly do believe when it comes to scaling a business or building a business, you're not building wealth alone. There's so many different, to me, I'm always working on multiple areas of my life, my spiritual depth, my, my true understanding of myself, my life's purpose. It's always evolving. It's always written. It's always changing. I'm truly inspired to grow my knowledge and never ending my body my health my wellness um, my love and connection with my wife and my close friends deeply inspired to do all those i'm deeply inspired to build my wealth i'm constantly working on multiple areas and that's what i adore i'm coming back to to coaches who say yeah i just want to make more money i'm like dude scale is not all about making money you can i mean i've scaled my production capacity i had terrible production capacity my coffee cup would get full all the mm. time. Do you know what my coffee cup would get full? By looking at someone, someone successful. It would just collapse me. Mm. That's interesting, yeah. Right? Wealthy. So I look, I look, and instead of looking at somebody and going, wow, that's insane, I can, I can do that. Or looking at somebody who's successful and going, what parts of them do I not like? It's very easy for me to look at somebody who's successful overweight and have zero respect for them. Mm. But I think that's a really good balancer that I have in that, let's say, because in all areas of my life, not only am I living it towards things that I value the highest, what I'm also trying to do is to fulfill multiple areas of my life. I personally feel if I see somebody that's worth 10 million, but they look like a sack of shit, to me, they're probably worth a million. Because 9 million of that, I wouldn't want if I wasn't in shape. Mm. All right. And then I look at the spiritual connectivity and I sit and I talk to them and I go, you can't even have a good conversation. So to me, it's just a pot of cash, you know? And and so that's not saying, by the way, that there's anything wrong with that person's values. But when I look at other people, I very quickly ask myself, which parts am I inspired by? Which parts am I not inspired by? Because it, it gives you a quick leveler to stop comparing yourself to other people. Because when you're inspired by other stuff, what you're doing when you compare yourself to other people is saying, every part of who they are, I want to be. I want their clothes, I want their cars, I want their watches, I want their money, I want their women or whatever it is, or similarly guys for women. There's a lot of that 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 I have no inspiration. I don't have have a car in Dubai yet. I'm not bothered. 
You know, um, I've always, you know, I used to be bothered about cars. Maybe down the line I will. Maybe you'll see me in something nice. I don't know. But, you know, that's, you know, you can look at somebody who's worth 10, 15 million, they're driving a flash car at the moment. Great. But it doesn't bother me because it's not something I'm inspired by. But I've taken control of that. Mm. Not to the point where I'm taking control, where I'm managing it. Everything that I look at, I'm easy, I'm able to look at and say, but is it aligned with what I want? And I think that's the greatest controlling thing, that when people look at people and get so overwhelmed and put themselves down so much, they go, oh, it just puts them down in, in a hole. And, and that's where, for me, that emotional level of stability is, no matter what you look at, who you look at, and what you see, you have the same opportunity. But also, I can look at that and say, but what parts of it do I not want? Because with every single person that we compare ourselves against, what are we comparing themselves against? Is it just the money side of who they are? Or is it all the other aspects of who they are that you want to be? And I, I, I have no desire to be anybody else. I and do I, believe that humans over-rotate on the comparison into the areas that they feel they are void or deficit. So for example, if your relationship with money is one of scarcity, mm -hmm. you're going to look at others for a, through a, a scarcity lens. Mm -hmm. If you are one that feels like you didn't have the nice things, well, then you're going to look at all of the other things of, well, I wish I had those things. If you feel like you... You're not big enough. You're not skinny enough. You're, you're going to look at everyone that's bigger than you or skinnier than you and go, well, that's what I want. But you don't realize that as a human being, we often compete and compare as men often on how you look, how much money you make and mm -hmm. various other areas. Women, again, it can be more around physical attraction and those areas, whatever, but it's often deficits that you're comparing on. Mm -hmm. But if you actually look at human being, there's a thousand different factors you could compare on if realistically. We could go down to business, leadership, accounting, coaching, delivery systems, technicals, all of that stuff. Then you just delete business. Then you've got physique. There might be your sprint speed, how much you can squat, how much you can deadlift, muscle mass, uh, body fat. You take that out and you can go into the kitchen. You go, all right, cooking. I don't know what types of cuisine. There's so many different factors, but you'll only compare on the things that you don't feel enough on. Mm -hmm. So when you can start to actually understand, and this is a really interesting concept, which we've come up well. Somebody else, somebody else has probably said it. We've come up with it in our world. We have something called joy optimization. And it sounds like intuitively you've got to that point. Where are the areas that you experience joy? So for me with ADHD, that means I can hyper-focus on the things that I love. Doing what we're doing right now, just like you, I could do this all day long. Mm -hmm. Same with my one-to-one -one calls. That's why I'm a one-to-one -one service, not just a course provider that does everything automated. I like human beings. I like mm -hmm. being there. That's my form of joy. So when you can start to optimize for joy and the tasks that you find joyful in, and if there are parts of business or coaching you don't inherently enjoy, you can find individuals that love that. They can feel that deficit and they can go and really bring that to the table. Then that coffee cup is going to get full up. And, and, and it's another reason for, you know, being inspired to make money. I think a lot of people think that making money in business it's all ego. It's all, it's all, I remember somebody saying to me, Mark, I think I've got a problem in my business. I'm not, I'm not buying watches and things. And I remember saying to him, it's a real big lesson to so many people listening to and watching this. He said, I've got a problem. And he, he'd, he'd gone up like an extra 10 grand a month or whatever he had. And he said, I've got a, I, I know I've got a problem. I'm not spending any money on watches and cars. So I obviously, you know, either I'm not doing good enough or there's something wrong with me. I said, uh, okay. Let's look where you are spending your money because most people spend their money on things they value mm. and don't spend money on things that they don't value. So what do you spend your money on? Like I spend money on experiences and luxury, travel, restaurants, hotels. I love that. But going out every couple of months and buying watches and cars, it's, it's not, you know, 
inspiring to me to, to be doing something like that. Whereas to a lot of people it is. And I said to him, can you do me a favor and point out where you are spending money? He says, I'm not. I said, okay, let's get, let's go to the things that you really spend the largest amounts of money on. He goes, well, we go on holiday with the kids. He's got two or three kids. And I said, um, okay, how much do you normally spend on a holiday? Went, went, well, normally probably under two grand. Like, where do you go? Da, da, da. And I was like, uh, so that's the max you spent on a holiday? He went, oh, no, no, no. Last week we, we spent 10 grand. We're taking the kids to Disneyland. I was like, ah, cool. Let's just stop on that for a minute. So could you go and buy a Porsche and put down eight grand and do the first 1,500 pound monthly payment? Oh yeah, I could pay 1,500 pound a month, no problem. Why don't you do it? And he was like, I don't want one. I was like, so you could buy a Porsche or a watch or a Rolex, eight grand, 10 grand today. Yeah, but I'm spending on the kids. I was like, cool, as long as we can spot that. And the interesting thing with this is that I think a lot of people think that, um, and this, we talk about this in our scale program to a lot of our clients, is that they think they should be doing something and they're only not doing it because they're not inspired to do it, but they beat themselves up because they think that they ought to be doing it. And I think this ought to thing is something that you learn from being emotionally stable is very often it says, I think I should because I see everything going on. You know, but like you said earlier, if you're looking at people's social media, you've got to be responsible for who you follow. So if, you know, that's a big responsible thing. You know, if, if you sit and look at who you follow, that, that you need to be responsible. So if you're looking at a billionaire who's flying in jets and has girls around them all the time and it's making you feel inadequate, what, what are you gaining from that? Actually watching that, because all day long, your values are not aligned with what that person's saying that you should be doing but you're also challenging yourself that it should be what you're chasing. And this comes back to what we both said, pull back to what you truly value, be inspired and watch other people, but they're on their own journey. You know, choose wisely who you follow because it, if, if you're not emotionally stable, it will constantly, it's what, I remember watching a, 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 a reel or, or a YouTube video and Instagram's very clever. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. It was built to impact your mind. Have you read Hooked by Nur? Yeah. No. I'll send you a copy. Thank you. Honestly, that book, you will never look at social media the same again. But it's there to encourage you to see things that make you make a decision and it's conditioning the mind. The news, like you and I live here, right? The news is pretty filtered. England. Bad news every day. Now, World's ending. a funny thing here happened. I love England. I love everything that, uh, yeah, everybody and everything that's helped me throughout my life. But one thing I've noticed been since being in Dubai is no one's in control of my thoughts apart from me. Mm. There is a clarity of thinking. Here. Absolutely. Mm. And, and it's been, very, uh, during lockdown, I got so sick and tired, right? The, the first year of lockdown, I used to, my father used to watch the news at seven, eight o'clock in the morning and at 10 o'clock at night. So for all of my life, until I was 42, 41. Yeah, hit with fear, uncertainty and doubt, yeah. So all I hear is, we've got problems, mm. we've got this, we've got that. My wife said to me in the kitchen one day, do you mind if I say something? Because we always ask each other, what do you like, not like? What am I doing right, wrong? What can we change? Okay? Because I think that's really respectful to each other, that if I've developed something that you're not really a big fan of, let's just talk about it. She said, uh, I've never liked you listening to the news. I said, why? And she said, because I don't like what I hear and it impacts my thoughts for the rest of the day. And I went, Phew. and it was at the time when I was studying Joe Dispenza. And I'd studied a lot of Joe Dispenza through lockdown, did about two and a half years worth. Never done any of his courses, would love to do it. 
But I really got deep into his work and energy. And I just woke up one day and said to my wife, I'm going to stop watching the news. I'm going to tell you something. It's changed my life. Yeah, I bet. I know. Like I'm not being, yeah, I, I know I'm, you are a mindset guy, but people watching or listening to this, it's a simple stop tweak. It's a simple watching tweak. and it listening the to the news. Because as an entrepreneur, I'm not religious because I truly believe in uh, my own ability. I spoke to the vicar that married myself and my wife, not to tell him I don't believe in what he believes, but respectfully to anybody who has a religion, I, I, I respect you immensely. But because I'm so in control of my mind and my mind is the thing that's been able to get me from where I was to where I am today, there's no more powerful force than me. Do you know Rich, Lit Rich Litvin? Oh, very interesting dude. British guy in LA, coaches some big dogs in the States. And he says, you are God with a little G. What he means by that is you are the creator of your reality. Why, you can't, you, why can't you be G with a G, capital G? Because as minute you go little G, you put in yourself down. You can be your own. I don't think you can be your own God, but you can be your own G. Yeah. Do you know what I mean think, though? I think that's a humility thing. I think it's respectful as, that there is, yeah. that to, to people that have a God, Yeah, 100% respectful. But I'll just be M with a capital M, the biggest M I can be. Yeah. And, and I, I completely get what you're saying. I think his point is, and I agree with it, is you can walk around with a God complex, I am inherently God. Absolutely. Or with a little G, completely. I am the creator of, me. of my own reality. Absolutely. And if we think about this, Sam Harris, top neuroscientist, he said this. And when he said this, it completely changed my whole reality. And he said, everything we experience in this world comes through the mind. Thus, mm -hmm. it makes sense to train it. And I went, yeah, everything does come through the mind. So when you look at it as, well, if I am inherently the creator, because I create my thoughts, I create my internal dialogue, I create my internal being, which then responds to the external world. Well then, yeah, technically, if God is the creator, I am the creator of my own experience. Mm. Thus, it makes sense instead of pointing the finger at the outside world, because ah. that's what a lot of people do. They externalize. Oh, it's the market. Oh, it's this. Oh, yep. it's that. It's this person. It's this person. No, you chose that. Whatever is happening and you're experiencing, you have mm -hmm. chosen. Mm -hmm. Whether consciously or unconsciously, there's a choice. And it's your job to rewire that internal narrative. We were talking earlier about desires and looking at things about, oh, is it cars? Is it watches? Is it houses? Is it all these various different things? I have one question that I always ask my clients whenever they ask me about A, a big life decision that they want to do, or B, a big purchase. And it's, if no one else could know about this, would you still do it? If no one else would know, you're going to buy that watch. No one else can see it. It's a secret. Only you will have this. Do you still want it? So about... Six months ago, I reached out to my personal development coach, my own coach, mm. who has helped me through a hell of a lot. Um, and there were two things that I've wanted for a long time, and I could buy them tomorrow, but I don't. A lot of people don't know what I have. A lot of people don't know what I've invested in. I believe that uh, wealth doesn't need to show. I agree. Rich does. And I, I learned that I from agree. the book, okay. um, The Psychology of Money. Yeah. To me, I got a lot. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. But the only people that really know about it is me and my wife. So I don't really do it. You know, I, I think sometimes it's important because in order for people to buy into me showing parts of what I do, I don't create content to show off. So I wouldn't do anything any different. I and mean, the reason I say that to you is because 
there's two things that for a long time I said I want. And when I spoke to my personal development coach, I said, I need to speak to you. Why am I not buying them? And the reason being to justify to me is a big investment I I made two years ago, which we're still waiting for, which is the biggest investment I've ever made. I'm more inspired to invest into that than I am. And I see the unnecessary value in the two things that I've always wanted. So I've probably for six, seven, eight years wanted these two things and I don't buy them, but I still keep them ahead of me. And my personal development coach was like, at that time, they were, that was what you valued the highest. And now your values have shifted, which is true. They have shifted immensely. You know, I want to put everything into my wife, life, future. And if it doesn't look like it's going to complement it, I can't justify it. And so if you could ask me, if no one knew, what would you buy? Nothing. Because I, 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 uh, I, have, nothing, I have nothing that I'm actually trying to prove with money. So that's a question that I ask my clients when they say to me, Kieran, well, here's an example. One of my clients said, do I buy the Ferrari? And I said, okay, tell me about the model that you want. And that client told me the chassis number, told me exactly when the brake pads went in, told me that this is going to be the last year they're doing a petrol version, has told me the evolution and when that car started, has told me where the lever comes from, tells me where the stitching. Ten, I asked him that one question, 10 minutes. That's all he spoke about. So I said, okay. No one else could know that you had this thing. Would you still get it? Within a heartbeat, yes. So guess what? My best ever follow-up subject line was by the Ferrari in the email. And he did it and he loved it and he's very happy. He doesn't put it anywhere. He just keeps it to himself. So I find that that question, whenever somebody has a desire and they say, I want an XK month business. I want a six pack. I want this watch, this, whatever the thing is that you want. Whenever I ask that question, if no one else could know about it, would you still want it? And if the answer is no, chances are you're doing it for other people and not necessarily for your values and what you're interested in. If the answer is no. So if the answer is, like I've you know said what? to you, there's nothing, there's nothing I'd have. The opposite. Yeah. So let's say, okay, you want that watch. If no one else could know that you would have it, would you still want it? If the answer is like, no, everyone needs to see it. You don't want the watch. You want people to think of you in a certain way. So I always find that that question cuts through noise insofar as our desires. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, yeah, I I do want this car or this or this or this or this or this or this. Ask yourself this question. If no one else could know you could have it, would you still want it? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, you probably don't want it. Interesting. Interesting. You know, and you know, for me, I think that uh, there's been a lot I've bought over the years, specifically, uh, in show, uh, but it's, it, it's quite funny. I, I, I suppose the more more centered I've become in myself, um, don't get me wrong. You know, I had to deal with a lot of relationship problems with money uh, over the last ten years. Um, my father was before he passed away very very successful and had a very very interesting relationship with money. Yeah, he didn't really want to show people, but he did. He thought he didn't, but he always did. Very interesting. But he didn't do it in a way where I'm showing you. It was just very clearly evident around him that it was there. And I'm, you know, I would never apologize in the, in the slightest for the things I've got or people see the things that I've got or the things that I do. But I kind of grew up thinking that whatever you've got, you just do not let people see. 
Um, and again, a value shared by my father. And when I wanted to explore it, it was exploring whether or not that was a value that was me or whether it was a value of his mm. and it was a value of his. And then when it wasn't a value of mine, I had to explore what my relationship with money was. Um, and I think that holds a lot of people back. You know, the, you come from, you know, there's a lot of people with very, very poor families. And as soon as they get a little bit of money, the first thing they do rather than investing into team is how quickly can I show people I'm wealthy? And that creates chaos because status, yeah. they got, well, it, well, it's status because they came from zero status. Um, you know, the status, the, the status I need is who I am. I am fucking powerful to me. That's what gives me strength. How I walk, talk, breathe, not to be intimidating to other people. It's what status game am I playing? Not to walk into a bar and intimidate somebody, you know, but the reason I say fucking powerful is the being that I've been able to create in my head, the power in my head. Because I look at a lot of people with a lot of money and they'll come straight up to me and can't even look at me in the eye. <laughs> What's all that about? You know, then it's quickly, this is what I've got, this is what I've got. I'm like, I didn't ask you what you got. <laughs> you know, that's just, how you doing? How's tricks? How's life? Yeah, I'm good. I'm worth this now. And I've got that now. And it's like, we can get to that, you know? And and then, and that, that state of control is, you know, I want to meet person before things. And, and, and I think that's such a controlling thing for people to learn. And going back to what we both said is that the greatest thing anybody can do is take control of their mind because the mind is the thing that determines the destination, in my opinion. You know, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to come from a wealthy family and I've watched wealth and watched unhappiness with wealth. So I want wealth with happiness and fulfillment. And that's a, that's a work in progress for, you know, it's not, I, I've really honed that skill but I'm just encouraging of other people that in 10 years time, are you going to be happy, fulfilled with what you're doing and what you've got? You know, we can make a lot of money on the way, but I think, I think that true fulfillment and search for living life according to your own values is, is, is so important. Yeah. And something I always like to ask is uh, if money didn't exist, will I still do what I do? And that's kind of for you as a business mentor, that's kind of hard, but it's also not kind of hard. Because if you take away the, con the emotional context of money and you look at it as energy, it's an energetic exchange. And the more value that you can create, the more energy that you have, the more that you can share and more create and, and build things within to your reality. So whenever I ask my question, if money didn't exist, would I still do this? Mm -hmm. The answer is always yes, because the two coins that we work on at Total Men's Performance is helping achieve psychological freedom. And then that's not the absence of suffering. It's the ability to feel suffering and be okay with it. We spoke about before we got on air, the ability to manage one's internal state and still get shit done and move the needle forward is really the 1% the of top coaching entrepreneurs, right? And, and, and that's part of the, I mean, the one thing that fascinates me in business is it's the journey. Like it's the journey of self-discovery. It's the journey of systems. It's the journey of people hiring, firing. I love getting shit wrong. I love shit not working. Um, I'm not a great fan of how you feel during the moment, but I think it's just exciting. So I think if you go into business with the perception that I'm only looking for the ups, um, I left the voice note for somebody just before this, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm good when I'm up, but I'm horrific when I'm down. Um, that's nothing to do about the tactics and strategies that you're following. It's to do with yourself. 
because when you're down, it's reminding you, in my opinion, of something that you're not happy in yourself about. But when you're up, it elates you and takes you way further than that emotional state that you currently don't like about yourself. So let's explore that. Let's have a look at, you know, whenever you have an emotion or association that reminds you of the way you feel about yourself, not good enough. If we can explore that and understand that and reframe that, then I do sales, for example. I'm as buzzing making money and buzzing, lose, buzzing not getting a sale because everything's a lesson and learn. But it's having that balanced state in businesses as you're growing. To me, it's all about everything that I do. That's why I'm so inspired by business, so inspired by helping other people because all you're trying to do is help people piece the dots together on a journey through life that's not supposed to be easy. You know, I'm just, I'm just probably 15 to 20 years ahead of a lot of people and people pay me essentially to be able to see shit that they can't see. And that's it. And, I, and I'm not expecting anyone to come in and go, yep, I'm, I'm great. I'm just going to scale. And I'm like, you're going to try and scale, but I can see these problems along the way. So to, to me, you know, I'm not looking for the solution at all to create a business coaching model with zero problems. That's boring and it doesn't exist. It does not exist. But I think here's the proven framework to be able to do this. It's marketing, it's lead generation, it's tactics, it's strategies. Great. But what are you going to do when the person's head falls off? That's mindset. That's head. That's personal development. And if you as a business, if you as a business coach have made your money by literally sitting in a cubby hole and sending ads, doing doing ads, doing whatever to make your wealth and have never learned about your own emotional stability, then you're going to find yourself really, really struggling because it comes back to this. Coaching is a people thing. You can, look, you've got a lot of personal trainers, online coaches that know the science and theory and practice of coaching, but they're shit because they can't manage the person that they're working with. Can't do the human element. They can't do the human no. element. So, you know, I have a lot of people coming back to me and saying that's that's one thing. Sometimes they're not ready to listen to me about that aspect and they'll go somewhere else. Fine. But I won't bend on what I value in that I'll help you grow and I'll help the business grow. Because going back to what we both talked about, the coffee cup, is you can't grow with an unstable coffee cup. And And for me, if I can reduce the emotional overwhelm or the emotional challenges then we'll build a better business. And so I think that the the quality of the business determines on the quantity of available emotional energy in the coffee cup. And the less available emotional energy there is, the harder we're going to find building a business and you're going to have anxiety, frustration, overwhelm, anger, dread, dread, you know, greed, whatever all those emotions are that are not conducive to fulfillment, happiness, inspired and energized. 100%. And strong emotions make it stupid. Strong emotions cut down our time frame. They mm -hmm. cut down our options. And this is where we go into the difference between emotions and feelings. If we think about Ackman's big six emotions, emotions generally are felt in the body. Happiness, sadness, fear, disgust. Those are often very much, very visceral responses in the body and in the head. But when we think about feelings, feelings are the thoughts, the beliefs, and the stories on top of the emotions. Mm -hmm you're always going to feel emotions because that's hardwired into you as a human being. You're going to feel those emotions, but it's the feelings and the stories you tell yourself about those emotions. I can feel sadness and I can know there's nothing wrong with me and I can sit there and I can move through sadness and continue with my day. Some people that will cripple them. 
Some people, it'll completely take them out of the way. Fear. Through boxing, you learn that fear is a fucking force of fire. And fear can either keep your chops. It can put man on the moon with rockets. It can keep the houses warm or it can burn whole forests down. So for me, fear became very normal. Mm -hmm. And I got used to just using that as, as fuel. But in those feelings and in those stories, that's where you need to unpack. Well, why, why am I getting caught up in that? Because once you're emotionally hijacked, that's it. It's game over. Because mm -hmm. strong emotions make you stupid. You've now got less time, less options. And the decisions that you make, and entrepreneurs live and die by their decisions, will often be dog shit because you haven't been able to create that distance. There's two frames I love to use with coaches. And the and I don't know about you, but I love coaching in metaphors. Because with metaphors, you can really, really understand things. And it's a way that humans learn very quickly through metaphors. Are you familiar with farmer's law and scientist thinking? Ah, farmer's law I love. So one of my mentors, Ron, multimillionaire investor, he... I basically called him up and said, Ron, I'm 15 grand in debt from a failed nutrition business app that I've developed for fighters. Uh, I actually pitched him for 50 grand and within 10 minutes, he showed me on a whiteboard why it wasn't going to work and then just kicked me out the door and said, yeah, no money for you, mate. Sorry. He told me to read, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read it. I called him up and I said, Ron, will you be my rich dad? And he went, what? And I said, I'm skin. I'm flat on my ass. I'm living on a sofa in a one bedroom council flat in South London. I've got fucking nothing about me at the moment. I need some help. So he said, okay, mate, but it's going to take you some time. I went, yeah, yeah, okay. He goes, I'll give you 30 minutes a month for free. And I said, I'm going to give you hundred pounds a month for that, that 30 minutes. He said, you can't afford that. And I said, I know, but I know you'll take it seriously and you'll turn up if I'm paying hundred quid, you know, I can't afford it. And to this day, I still pay him hundred pounds a month. <laughs> still to this day, you know, seven years later, I still pay him the same, same hundred quid. I said, right, I can give you more. He's like, don't worry about it. Just keep it there. Cause he understands it's a sentimental thing. But what he said to me about farmer's law was when you look at an actual farm, and this is really important for coaches that are starting out. You don't just lay the seeds and up it comes. So first of all, you've got to pick the plot of land. So the plot of land, for example, in coaching might be, I help 18 to 25 year old men get shredded. That's a very popular niche for young men, right? So maybe that's the plot of land that they pick. So then you've got to decide, well, okay, am I going to grow corn or am I going to grow wasabi? Corn is mass market, lots. Wasabi, very, very niche, but very, very expensive. And then you've got to churn up the land and then you've got to plant all the seeds and then you've got to put in all the fencing around. And then guess what? You've got to fucking sit there and wait. There's no magic thing where it all pops up. It takes time. And it's the same with entrepreneurship. So with all of these emotions of frustration and wanting to rush and wanting to get there faster, sometimes you just got to understand that the farm just isn't going to sprout overnight. You've got to work the land. And sometimes success can be boring because you're just working the land, working the land, working the land. And then you do your harvest. Well, then guess what? You've got to decide you still want to grow wasabi. Or actually, do you want to grow some more corn? Or do you want to go on a, on a different plot of land? And for me, once I learned the art of farmer's law and it slowed down all of my thinking, I was realized I've got more time than I think. That enabled my emotional state to really settle. So I started to realize I have more time. It's not a lack of urgency. I still have shit to get done because otherwise I'm going to miss the harvest. But that completely changed the game for me. I like, I like, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's something that I talk, my whole business is built upon Fun. building foundations. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I build a lot of foundations with businesses and if it has to be patient, a farmer is patient, you know, you, you're going to crop in cycles, you know, and I, I will say on the flip side of that, and I, I, I will say this, that there's a lot of people who don't need to wait as long as farmers. There's a lot of people that have the emotional stability and I won't slow them down on this to get shit done and go hardcore. And I'm on the flip side of that as well. Cause you watch me work, blow people's brains, what I actually get done in a day. And with that, 
I think there's two sides of coaches and this is why I have to look at the mindset. You know, there are some people that have been in touch with their minds for a long time and they're switched on, you know, um, and they, they, they get a lot done. I, some of our clients come in the build program, build the foundations that are online. They get the graphic design together. They get the content together. They, they're confident, confident in front of camera. They build the systems. They do the leads. They get the sales. They get the sales calls. They get the new clients. They set the systems up. You watch them. They're a machine. In six months, they're ready to scale. And these are rare people. But similarly, you get somebody that comes in when you were, when I was doing fat loss and they lose body fat and they they don't want to stabilize. They say, well, I'm going to keep losing. What's the next step? What's the next step? And I think that, you know, from a coaching perspective, I need to watch both types of people because there is the emotional unstable, coffee cups full, and then there is the emotional stable with the coffee cup low because as a coach, those people don't want me holding them back. And I think it's important for me to see both ends of the spectrum. See, I've worked at the highest end like of, of of sport with bodybuilding and physique development of bodybuilding. Like I know how to, I know how to absolutely as a high performance coach, you know, and I am a high performance coach. I'm just, you know, I'm not a guy that, you know, just looks at one side of the coin, you know, and, and just slows people down, you know, but I've got people in our scale program that will within six to eight months go from 20 K to 50 to 60 K and they don't want to be held back. They don't have the emotional instability. They do want to go. And that's where I don't want to hold people back. People used to come to me and say, I'm in decent shape, but I want to do a photo shoot. And I'm like, but you could run the risk of getting quite fatigued and quite challenged. And I, this is the, on, on the flip side. I think some people, you know, if I, if I held them back from that, they wouldn't achieve what they want in their true potential. Then they go to somebody else. But not necessarily holding them back. They're just farming for some different. True, but, but true, but I, 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 I don't think that we should, um, when I say hold people back, if somebody's got the potential to be a millionaire and they have all the ducks in a row or they've got, or someone has the potential to go fast, I've actually seen this, okay? I've coached hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of body transformations. There's a lot of people say there's a lot of physiological damage that you can cause to somebody by doing a 12-week transformation with somebody who's not yet ready emotionally to do that. And this is where coaching's challenged me. If the person's held back, they never get to see their true potential and that thing gets them through. So sometimes people need, you know, and it's important. I've taken somebody through a 12-week transformation who said, trust me, I want to get lean and I want to get super lean. And I've got them to that end point. That's been the catalyst for change. And I'm so proud that I allowed myself to take them through that because I reverse dieted them out. I took my time with them. And I think as a coach, I'm aware of that emotional balance as we go through it. Cause we've got two ends of the spectrum. We've got scale clients that we slow down and do things in phases and really look at their emotional state and, and just take our time. But then it, it's crazy. I've got one at the moment that literally says, I'm all go. And I'm like, all the signs to me are all goes fine. And I think it's whether you can manage that dashboard. If, if, the, if the red light starts to come on and, the, or, uh, and, and, and it starts to tell you there's some, there's some issues there, it, to me, it's like managing a dashboard. When a coach does an onboarding call for us in either of our programs, we will manage the emotional dashboard. We'll just have a look at that emotional dashboard. And if it's kind of like it's on green and we go, let's go. Yeah, but that's when we're talking about nature. Yeah. So, you know, when you meet, you, well, you play rugby, right? In sports, it's so obvious as a kid. So sometimes when I'd box, when I was 17, I was boxing a man. Even though he's 17, technically he's probably got the physique or the yeah, body yeah, of yeah. a 21-year-old. On the flip side, if we talk about emotional maturity, I've coached guys in their, their 50s 
that emotionally are probably still a 30 year old on the flip 100%. side. 100%. So when we talk about nature, it isn't necessarily slowing every, and farmer's law. It's not necessarily about slowing everyone down, but it's helping them understand well, what is your inherent nature and it's growing the farm at your pace and your speed hundred percent, and not playing that blank. Cause I do think a lot of coaches blanket coach. And I, I agree yeah, with you there yeah. that everybody has to go on at their speed. And, and I call nature. it entrepreneurial mastery. It's interesting. You call that right. Business maturity. I've done it. I've done episodes of podcast trainings and videos to me, entrepreneurial mastery. Entrepreneur is different to entrepreneurial skills. And I truly do believe that entrepreneurial mastery is something that we develop. Training, capacity is something that we develop. So in the gym, if I get somebody and bring them in the gym to do a body transformation and I keep them back on a hack squat, they're going to go and work with a different coach. But if I watch that person training and go, they can do more. They have the muscular maturity. They have the work capacity, right? They have the recovery capabilities. Let's go, right? And that's when you get the best out of an athlete or somebody in the gym. But the ability for them from a capacity perspective, they do two sets on the hat squat and they're nearly puking. You're like, okay, we're going to have to add another three months to this transformation because we've not even developed work capacity at this rate. And I think that comes back to work capacity, business maturity, maturity, entrepreneurial maturity. And this takes me also to coaches that have not been doing it very long. It's the same thing. Coaches that have not been teaching people for very long haven't necessarily developed business maturity and entrepreneurial maturity themselves. You guys have been doing what you've been doing for a, a good time. There's some people that do a body transformation, become a transformation coach. You've not done enough to see so many different types of people. You get to your first six figures, you become a business coach. How? To me, it needs you to be. Done the hard yards, yeah. To me, yeah. it's not just about the hard yards in your business, which I completely agree with. You haven't seen enough people right. and dealt with how all of those people to be an expert in that field because all you're doing is teaching tactics and business and systems, which comes back to all of our mindset stuff about business maturity. We have to be able to read that dashboard, which turns us, in my opinion, into a true coach. I agree. Well, I think we should. Uh, if you're up for it, we should do another podcast on the entrepreneurial mind. Uh, it's just we're, we're running out of time here. <laughs> no, 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 but, absolutely. Um, I studied under Peter Jones, you know, the entrepreneur of Dragon's Den. Yes. So he set up a school. I got in there two years early. You had to be 18. I messaged Peter directly and got in at 16. And he ran a whole school around running a business and a company. And they'd assess you on that. No exams, no coursework, which I was really dog shit at. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that he would talk a lot about entrepreneurial maturity. And there's two parts. It's founder and business fit. Because you might have a great business, but if the founder's not the right fit and they're not mature enough or if they're not ready to do that, it completely falls apart. But I would love to, to dive into, into that. Perhaps yeah, that on, the entrepreneurial maturity thing and entrepreneurial mastery two hours is, is, um, is such a deep topic for me. And after 24 years of highs, lows, ups and downs, whether it's money, people, relationships, whatever, I'm pretty, I've got a pretty deep understanding of that. And, and, and do you know what? The, the great book Bounce, you know, mm. it just talks about time to become an expert in anything. And, um, and that's what I have respect for people that have done time. A lot of my team have done a minimum of 10 years in their, in their craft, especially at their kind of management level, because they need to have that maturity as well. Mm. And it's hard when you've got people that haven't got that because it, again, it comes back down to business systems tactics. That's the shiny stuff, but the depth stuff is what actually gets the result. Agreed. Final question. Go on. Forget us as an organization, forget us as a team. Yeah. What does the phrase, 
total mental performance mean to you? If you had total mental performance, how would you know? You just had full control. You had full uh, full control in your emotions, internal and external, and you were truly fulfilled. Because I think when somebody's truly fulfilled, you operate in a state of control. All I can describe myself as at the moment when I'm talking to anybody is centered. You know, I, I, I speak with clarity and conviction. Again, it takes time. But I think if you can achieve total mental performance, you'd be in a state of control where you, and it's, it's, un, it's unrealistic to expect not to have feelings of comparison. I don't live my life, by the way. I, we all get them. Comparison, stress, you know, low angry but but my control just flips me in and out of it and I, that 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 means i can control it so whatever comes in my way i have the skill and ability to control how i feel and if anybody commits enough to learn that i think it brings so much to your life relationships business you know the P professor steve peters from the chimp paradox said hover above a situation before you react Imagine you're in an imaginary helicopter and look down. And very often now, rather than being reactive, I'm controlled. And that thought process of a helicopter puts me in a lot of situations to just stop and operate out of a place of control. So that's total mental performance would be that for me. Thank you, Mark. I've really deeply enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much so myself. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Where can everyone find you? On Instagram is one of my main platforms, uh, Mark Coles M10. YouTube, similarly, same, and m10life.com. Um, you'll see a lot of our work and coachingconcierge.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Team, if you're listening you. to that and you enjoyed that, please share it to your stories. Tag us both uh, in your stories. We're trying to get this podcast out to as many people in the world. Big love, and we'll see you all in the next episode. Team, if you love this podcast, please do share it. Please put it out to the world. We're trying to bring these resources to everyone within coaching entrepreneurship as you know it's hard it's difficult it can be lonely and at the end of the day you start to realize when you see these people that they've experienced the same mindset puzzles as you differences they didn't procrastinate and just sit on them so please leave any comments give us some feedback share it to your stories big love and i'll see you all in the next episode